Okay, we're going to begin this story. It's called Northcote, 1984 and onwards. It's from It's a Rum Life, Book 4, Volume 1, Northcote, 1984 to 1994. These next years will be far more demanding to describe and equally difficult for listeners to follow. But here we go. Initially, after moving to Northcote, I worked for the Rundle family back at New Bolingbroke as their relief lorry driver. This gave me a regular income, and the work was so interesting it took my mind off the countless awful problems that still needed dealing with. After a year or so, John Brooks, their regular driver, was well enough to begin work once more. I stepped aside, but straightway found another driving job with local farmers' merchants, Lindsay and Holland Farmers. This involved animal feed deliveries throughout the central part of the county, sometimes in bulk using a tipper lorry, other times smaller quantities in paper sacks. Change of direction. Lindsay and Holland's trade declined with the beginning of the summer and by the end of 1985 I'd been headhunted for the first time in my life. Digby Scott was a regional manager for the Lincolnshire Standard Group and it was my hobby of photography that initially brought him to my door. Quite literally, and to our total surprise, Digby appeared one particular lunchtime when Ruth and I both happened to be at home together. He explained that the Standard newspaper in Skegness was under pressure. They had ceased to publish their popular midweek paper some time previously and Morton's publishers of Horncastle had stepped in and began to publish a weekly paper in the Skegness Standard Circulation Area. The new Skegness News was beginning to eat into the Standard's advertising revenue and something had to be done. My task was to write and produce pictures and stories for a new midweek Skegness Extra an alternative midweek free paper and additional medium for the standards loyal advertisers. I really loved this episode in my life. I was being paid a reasonable wage and expenses, working freelance to produce the new Skegness Extra and pack it with general interest magazine type stories and lots of photos of local people. I worked a great deal in the evenings and processed all my own photos in black and white. An occasional colour photo shoot for the main paper made life more interesting too. At first. We stepped back for a few moments to look at Northcote when we'd first arrived. I'd managed to clear tons of knee-deep decaying manure from all the redundant sheds and with the aid of a borrowed tractor tip it all in a local vacant hole in the ground. The idea of breeding white rabbits for meat had developed while I was working for Rundles. I'd not imagined that I would be able to find an alternative driving job um, when John returned to Rundles and I needed some form of income to pay the mortgage. In fact, John Brooks had assisted me during his convalescence by assembling all the rabbit cages for me. Then, during my weekends at home, the better buildings on the old RAF site had been pressed into service as breeding sheds with fan-driven fresh air ventilation and insulated walls. I studied carefully the intricacies of breeding rabbits on a large scale and introduced a simple but effective system of breeding records. The Orange It was about this time during the development of the rabbit farm that the stress of the two final years of ECYB caught up with me. I woke one night with this immense burning orange glowing and engulfing the whole of my chest. 
The previous day I had felt strange tingling sensations in my left arm, but given them no thought. With the orange was a violent heartbeat, almost fit to burst. Ruth was very concerned and I was powerless to move, only able to lay flat in bed while sweat poured off me. I could not possibly I could not possibly allow myself to be carried away as too many furry animals depended on my being there to care for them every morning and evening. So I just had to persuade Ruth that it would pass and not to call for assistance. It did pass after about two hours. My heartbeat dropped to a reasonable level but left me so weak I could barely raise my arms. With daylight I managed to get up and dress but the rest is a blur. I remember having to cross the field to feed the rabbits but what normally took me just a few minutes now took hours. Crossing the field took 15 minutes, resting at each of the fence posts as they came along. I then sat in the feed store to prepare the breakfast for a hundred does, ten books and and hundreds of offspring and so began what would take over six months to come to terms with. I had to learn to live life differently, more slowly and without stress. The lack of energy and strength enforced my sitting at every chance I could. I learned to do jobs a different way and taking more time was not just a good idea but it was impossible to do otherwise. Never again was I able to run upstairs. Coming to terms. All our larger cars had all gone during the final months of Ivy House including my lovely white Mark II Jaguar 3.8 S-Type together with the company leased Peugeot estate car. The only family transport now was a well-used but totally reliable Citroen Diane. This simple two-cylinder machine with canvas roof did stalwart service for for Ruth in the daytime while she worked for a nursing agency. For me in the evenings its flexible takeout rear seats turned it into a formidable rabbit transporter. I was persuaded to see our local doctor eventually and as I lay on his couch with wires attached to my heart regions The machine reading what was happening inside duly recorded the hiccupy beat of my heart that I had now become used to every time I lay down. Not visiting the doc for some time after the episode had some benefit as all this had to be reported to the DVLA at Swansea, that's the Driver and Vehicle Licensing Authority, and the stress tests they put up for me to enable me to keep my HGV, that's Heavy Goods Vehicle Driving Licence, did not materialise until a year after the actual event. By this time, I'd recovered a good part of my strength and coped with the tests effortlessly. My GP, my, my local doctor, had prescribed little yellow tablets to be taken three times daily. I hated the idea. Regular tablet taking was something I'd always fought against something I always associated with old fogey types, but now found necessary to simply exist. The rabbits. Back with the rabbits, as the numbers increased, the old, the four old demountable container boxes that originally arrived on site with all our worldly goods were pressed into service as sheds for the young stock. During the winter, prices for the rabbits were high enough to make a sufficient profit for us to live on, but in the summer, the prices governed by low demand ensured extreme care had to be taken to keep breeding levels lower and were necessarily 
It turned out it was necessary not to lose huge amounts of money. Rabbit breeding was precarious, and after two years with, with I should mention, no health problems with the stock due to my carefully planned fresh air system, I was more than delighted that our neighbours approached us with a request to buy all our stock and portable buildings to be installed in their own premises just a few hundred yards away. At that time, our neighbours ran a refreshment caravan on the main A16 road just south of Spilsby. The rabbit business would supplement their income and could be managed in the early mornings and evenings before and after their time spent feeding large numbers of lorry drivers who found their bacon sandwiches difficult to pass by. Settling down. This move coincided perfectly with my now working for the newspaper in Segnes, morning, noon and night. I bought a very second-hand Mark I Ford Escort estate car in red to use as my personal transport. Meantime, our horses loved the extra space at Northcote and we gradually brought the stable accommodation into line, providing a decent roof over their heads too. Ruth was never impressed with Northcote. To be honest, the change from living at Ivy House was more than dramatic. From a beautiful Georgian home with large, tall, ornate plaster ceilings and spacious rooms and beautiful garden, we'd come to a wreck. The horses had better accommodation at Northcote than we did. The bedrooms were pokey, with no room to walk around the bed, never mind find space for wardrobes. The kitchen was actually leaned to garage conversion, but did have fitted units and top cupboards that our two cats rapidly took over in order to glare at each other across the open space. We maintained and in fact developed our wedding carriage hire business, and the two antique carriages we managed to keep hold of were soon in frequent demand, often both out on the same day. We had just managed to hang on to the old threatening bit cab FG BMC horse box of dubious legality. We're just turning a page here. Easter 1984 had been the time of the big move to Great Steeping and working for Rundles. When Easter 1986 arrived, I'd begun to work at the Skegness Standard. Ruth had left the Grace One Hospital, had endured a year travelling to Nottingham and completed her district nurse training. She was now employed on the district locally and had purchased a very tidy Mark II Ford Granada 2-litre. We were making progress. Another change. My contract at the Standard was only for six months and the newspaper was sold at about the same time as my contract finished to a huge national conglomerate that guaranteed the end of local journalism for this medium. My contract was not renewed, uh, but I soon found myself staff photographer for the opposition, the Skegness News, while their regular man was away on sick leave. A happy year this, as I love photography. But Bob, the original photographer, was soon mended, and as the news owners found out that I had spent my formative years at the Boston Standard in advertising, I was moved over to sell advert space. This I did not like. Their ad manager was a young lad, well-meaning, I suppose, but more of a wheeler-dealer. Admittedly, he was under pressure to fill the paper every week, 
with as many adverts as he could persuade the unfortunate Skegness traders to buy. To blow my own trumpet for once, in the early 1960s, I'd learned more about newspaper advertising at the knee of Roy Webley at the Boston Standard than Wayne would ever be able to comprehend. Wayne gladly gave me all the worst jobs. No chance of planning organised worthwhile campaigns for clients that would make best use of their budgets. I had to just sell space to unsuspecting traders with useless page fillers that only filled the coffers of Morton's the publishers and did little good for the advertiser themselves. I hated this because I felt I was preying on unsuspecting clients and wasting their money. One welcome glow was that Wayne, the manager, took all the flack from management when things did not go well. It brought in badly needed income for us at home, though for which I must for though for which I must be grateful. My transport was still the elderly Mark I red Ford Escort estate car, but I must admit the lapse in economic purgatory by relenting uh, I must admit a lapse in economic purgatory by relenting a little and buying a smart maroon MGB GT, the details of which came through our office to be advertised in the local paper. Aunt Ruth. The last member of my father's family died in 1987. Aunt Ruth was the nicest of them all. She travelled the world in her middle age and at the end had taken drastic measures to cope with her, her ailing health. She left my sister and myself a legacy for which I was eternally grateful. With her help, my Ruth and I managed to transform the house at Northcote into a very desirable property, with proper kitchen, downstairs cloakroom, utility room, dining room, and for us, a huge double bedroom with large picture windows. We'll just turn the page again. It was some consolation for losing Ivy House, but even so, Ruth never managed to come to terms with that initial trauma. During my second year at Skegness, I could see the little town of Spilsby, close to my home at Northcote, was lacking a local newspaper, something the local population could grasp as their own. It took me several months to sell the idea to Morton's management, and in that time I gained a friend in Terry Clark, their group news editor who I had originally met at the Boston Standard in 1960. Terry had attended Boston Grammar School about two years ahead of me, and by the time I arrived at the Boston Standard, he was already well established in the editorial strength as a junior reporter. Spilsby News Back in Spilsby, premises were found for the infant Spilsby News in the town, above the local office for Parsons Coal. I was given six months to establish the title and my task was not only to write the paper and take photographs but sell and design adverts at the same time. I had two bosses, Terry on one side and the money management on the other, who relentlessly pushed for increasing revenue through advert sales. The local office was an immediate success. 
Local interest stories poured in and the paper was easy to establish with distribution outlets in most local villages. Sales quickly rose to hundreds each week from nothing. I was delighted. Management also could not deny that this gave extra strength to their other titles, enabling them to sell extra space to advertisers seeking clients in the Spilsby area. Spare time was hard to find, and work at Northcote had to take second place. I was now earning £200 a week, a sum I'd never managed before. But the time I had to put in was relentless. I was provided with a portable laptop computer on which to write the stories. This was connected to a teletypesetting machine at the Horncastle Printing Works by modem and telephone line and presented my work ready for placing in the next edition at the touch of a button, all in 1988. As the months passed, pressure to sell more adverts increased and I found myself in a cleft stick. Pressure was something I taught myself to avoid over these past three years or so, and despite the fact that I loved the paper I'd created, I was still taking those important little yellow tablets three times every day, and my thoughts turned to finding something else to occupy my time and earn money to live on. Big Horses Within days of these thoughts, Young's Brewery telephoned to say they were about to retire our old shire horse Ebony. He was being used to train other younger horses to the task of propelling brewery drays around the streets of Wandsworth, South London. But soon he would be 14 years old and his working days would be over. As a bonus, Ebony's more recent partner, a bay horse called Samuel, would also be looking for a new home. Ruth and I put on our thinking caps and came up with the idea of using the two big horses together with our existing ponies to found something of interest to visitors and thus began the long haul to create Northcote as somewhere of interest for folks to visit. There we are. That's the end of that story. A little bit longer than usual. Hope you enjoyed listening. Remember, lots more stories to listen to on this Buzzsprout site. And they're all in books. You can download the books free of charge. Um, You can see the link on Cracker Books on Facebook. Thank you for listening.